Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. How many of you have thought, why doesn't God just do a miracle so people will believe? Maybe you have family members, maybe you have friends, maybe you have people that are close to you, you care about them, you long for them to come to know Jesus as well, and they're not responding, and you think, God, if you would just do a miracle. Well, what this story tells us, and what many stories in the Bible tell us, is that miracles don't necessarily change Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57, in a message titled, The Unwitting Prophetic Voice. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as we pick up here in the story, these verses that we just read, they remind us, they remind us that even the most powerful people are powerless to stop the ultimate purpose of God. Not only are they unable to stop God's purpose, they are oftentimes unwitting players in the great redemptive drama that God is working out in history. And I'm referring here to this man, Caiaphas. Caiaphas, who, intending to thwart the purposes of God, he is actually furthering them but he has no idea that that is what he's doing. So we're going to come back, and most of our attention is going to be given today to what Caiaphas says. But first, let's look at a couple of the details that John gives us here. And for those of you that have been with us, you you know this. All of these things are happening after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So that's the context. Jesus has raised this this young man, Lazarus, from the dead. He had died and been in the tomb four days. He was a close friend of Jesus. And his family members, his sisters, they were greatly disappointed. They were perplexed. They didn't understand why Jesus hadn't come. They sent a message to Jesus telling him that the one he loved, Lazarus, was sick. It was a serious illness. And they expected Jesus to come immediately and to heal him because Jesus healed people. That's one of the things he did. But Jesus delayed his coming. And during that time, Lazarus died and then was put in the tomb and was there for four days in the grave. And Jesus comes, and to everyone's surprise, Jesus does the unthinkable. He calls Lazarus forth out of the grave. And so as we pick up in verse 45, we read, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. And that would stand to reason, right? I mean, if if you were in that crowd and you understood that this man had died and had been buried and was in the tomb four days, and this man, Jesus, comes, says, roll away the stone, and then calls to this man, Lazarus, to come forth, and Lazarus comes out of the grave, you would 
think that everybody would believe. You would think that everybody would, would say, well, of course this is the Messiah. And many did, but not everybody did because we read in verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So what John is implying here is that these, although they saw the same thing, they didn't believe. And they went to the Pharisees who are the ones who are the antagonists. They are against Jesus. And they went to, to conspire really with them against Jesus. Now, how many of you have ever thought this before? How many of you have thought, if, if we could just see some miracles today, you know, why doesn't God just do a miracle so people will believe? Maybe you have family members, maybe you have friends, maybe you have people that are close to you, you care about them. God's changed your life, he's touched your life. You long for them to come to know Jesus as well and they're not responding, and you think, God, if you would just do a miracle. Well, what this story tells us, and what many stories in the Bible tell us, is that miracles don't necessarily change people. Some people responded. They believed. Now, I would think that a miracle would change everyone. I would think that people would see that and say, okay, this guy has to be the Messiah. He has to be the Son of God. But that's not the case. So we just need to, to remember that. God knows what he's doing. God knows how to reach people. We might think it should be a certain way, but God knows what people will respond to. And they will not always positively respond to miracles, even though we would think that they should. Now, there's, uh, there's people that are mentioned here, groups of people. There's Pharisees. And then there's the high priest, which belonged to a group called the Sadducees. And then there's a mention of the Sanhedrin. So let me just quickly explain who these groups of people are. So the Sadducees, or the chief priest, now you have to understand, in Israel, politics and religion go hand in hand together. So they are both the religious leaders and the political leaders of the nation. So the chief priests belong to the, the sect of the Sadducees, and they would be the equivalent of more the left-leaning people politically and religiously. So there were certain parts of the Bible they didn't believe. They didn't believe in uh, the supernatural they didn't believe in all of their scriptures as being inspired by God. They only, they only believed in a small portion. They politically were pretty much in league with the Romans. And they were in league with the Romans because the Romans gave them power. Now, the Pharisees are kind of the opposite. They're more on the right wing side of things. They're the theological conservatives and they're the nationalists. They're the ones who, they want the Romans out at all costs. The Romans are the biggest problem. And so you can imagine, these two groups didn't even really like each other. Their whole perspective on things was pretty much the opposite from one another. They didn't like each other, but they came together because they didn't like Jesus even more than they didn't like each other. 
And then we have a reference to the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin is, it's the, it's the ruling body of the nation. So the nation was under Roman dominion, but the Jewish people were directly accountable to their own rulers and the Sanhedrin is uh, a group of 70 men, like a Senate, that ruled the nation politically and also religiously. So these are the players here. And the thing that we see about them, the thing we see that is their greatest concern, their greatest concern is not as it should have been to recognize, identify the Messiah. See, all of the Jewish people, they're living with this idea that God's going to send a a deliverer. God's going to send a savior. And the Sadducees aren't totally interested in that because they're just fine. They're in a good relationship with the Romans. They're in power. And so the Messiah would even sort of rock the boat. They're not interested in that. Well, the Pharisees, they really wanted the Messiah to come because they hated the Romans and they wanted to get rid of the Romans. And they knew when the Messiah came, he would be on their side and he would elevate them to power. So bottom line is what they are primarily concerned about is power. They're not concerned about truth. They're not concerned about what is actually the case with the person of Jesus. They're really concerned about maintaining their power. And we see that as we read on here. What are we accomplishing? They ask. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him. Everyone will believe in him. And then, here's the big concern. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Their biggest concern was losing power. They did not want to lose power. So this should just tell you that politicians never change. And politics never changes. In the end, it is about power. You know, there used to be a time in the history of this nation where a politician was known and even identified as a public servant. So you're in a position not to get something out of it for yourself. You're in a position to do something for other people. But even though it might start that way idealistically, it doesn't stay that way very long. And as time goes on and as politics develop, you get to certain points in time, like was the case then, like is really the case for us today, where it, bottom line is it's about getting into power and staying in power. So that's their, their biggest fear. Their biggest fear is losing power. Now Caiaphas He is one of the most powerful of all of them. And so he speaks up. And notice he says, you know nothing. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people 
than that the whole nation perished. So, so Caiaphas, he completely exposes himself. He's not going to conceal what's really going on in his heart any longer. He's basically just going to come straight out and says, we need to kill this guy because if we don't kill him, the Romans are going to take away our position. Now, Caiaphas is the high priest. He's the highest religious figure in the land And he's also the most powerful politician in the land. And he says, we need to kill Jesus. We need to put him to death. But here's the crazy thing. Caiaphas is actually prophesying, and he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know it. He is speaking the plan of God, and he doesn't know it. His intention is, is purely selfish and totally evil, but unbeknownst to him, unwittingly, he is the voice of God at this moment. And one of the things that we need to understand is that God... Is sovereign. Now, maybe you've heard that term before. Talk about the sovereignty of God. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, what we're saying simply is that God actually rules over everything. And when it's all said and done, when history is finally come to a conclusion, and we look back over the long, long season of human history, we're going to realize that God was working out his plan the whole time. And he was even at times using people like Caiaphas to do it. So we have a number of examples of where at times God uses those who not only do not know him, but he will even use those who are actually opposing him to accomplish his purpose. And and this is just another example of that. But if we go back in the Bible, we find that that was the case with the Pharaoh of Egypt. Maybe you remember the story, the the children of Israel, they were 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and God is about to deliver them. So he appears to Moses and he says to Moses, he says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And so Moses does that very thing. He goes and he says, the God of Israel, he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know this God, and I'm certainly not going to obey him. He means nothing to me. And the response of God is this to Pharaoh. God says, for this very reason, I raised you up, that I might show my power in you. Pharaoh had no idea that he was the Pharaoh because God appointed him to be the Pharaoh. He thought he was the Pharaoh because he was related to the right family. He thought he was the Pharaoh because he had great wisdom and prowess and strength. But the truth of the matter was, God says, I put you in that position. And as we read through the history that we have, the Old Testament is 
predominantly a book of history, as we read through the history, we see this repeated over and over again. The Babylonian king, the great, the greatest king to ever rule, perhaps, the one with the most authority, Nebuchadnezzar was his name. God spoke of Nebuchadnezzar and used these words. He said, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was actually doing the work of God, even though he didn't know it, even though he was opposing God. He was rejecting God. The same was said about Cyrus, the Persian king, who would later come and overthrow the Babylonians. And God would speak to Cyrus and say, although you have not known me, I have known you, and I named you before you were ever born. Hundreds of years before Cyrus was ever born, the Lord through the prophet Isaiah spoke about Cyrus, the Persian king who would come. And we have that all the way into the New Testament period. Caesar Augustus. It says regarding Caesar Augustus that in in his day, a census went forth. A census went forth from Caesar Augustus that all the world, all the Roman world should be taxed. And in that Roman world, Israel was part of that Roman world, and in that Roman world, there were two people. One was named Joseph, the other was named Mary. And in this taxing, what happened is everybody had to go back to their place of birth, and they had to register there. And so Joseph and Mary, who live in the north of Israel, in Galilee, they have to make the journey south to go to Bethlehem because that's where they were from and they had to register there. Mary is pregnant. She's very pregnant. She's so pregnant, she's close to delivering the child. And, of course, this is not the condition you want to be in and take a trip. But Caesar Augustus, he makes this decree. But, you see, here's the thing. God had declared the very place the Messiah would be born, and it was not Galilee or Nazareth. It was Bethlehem. And so Mary has to get to Bethlehem so that the Messiah can be born there. She's not going to just decide to take that trip. So the ruler of the known world, he makes a decree. But in making this decree, he is actually fulfilling the greater purposes of God, even though he does not have the slightest idea that that's what he's doing. And I don't want to belabor this point, but but I want you to understand and see that what's going on in history is not haphazard or accidental or random. It is God working out his purposes. And God uses people even like this man Caiaphas to declare what he, God, is ultimately going to do. So we see that God sovereignly, sovereign means he's, he's the ruler. He's the one who is ultimately in charge of all things. Now, Here's the question, because John goes on, and this is what he says. In, look at verse 51. He's speaking of Caiaphas, who just said, it's better for you that one die for the people 
than that the whole nation perish. And then John says this. He says, he did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God and bring them together and make them one. So, two things. Caiaphas has no idea what he's doing. He's prophesying. He doesn't know he's prophesying. But he is. John said he's prophesying. He's the high priest. And even though he was an evil man, the high priest was an office that was appointed by God. And because he was in that position, the Spirit of God worked through that. But the second thing that is really amazing is Caiaphas, what he's prophesying, what he's declaring, nobody at the moment understood that that is what the Messiah would do. That was not the thinking in the mind of anybody about the Messiah. Nobody was thinking the Messiah is going to die for the sins of the world. That was not on their radar. That was not their thought. In their mind, the Messiah was going to be the, the great king. He was going to be the one that was going to come and overthrow the Romans. He was going to be the one that was going to elevate the people of Israel and bring them back to that place of glory like they were under their great king David. The Messiah is even referred to as the son of David. So everybody who's thinking that Jesus is the Messiah is thinking that any time now, he is going to overthrow Rome and establish the Davidic kingdom. That's what they're thinking. Nobody's thinking he's going to die on a cross, especially on a cross. Not even his closest followers. And when Jesus would say things to them like the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of evil people. They're going to mock him and scourge him and spit upon him and kill him. Jesus would say things like that. And then he would say, and the third day, he's going to rise. They would get together with each other afterward, and they would look and say, what in the world is he talking about? What does he mean? Rise from the dead. What is that? And of course, they were asking those questions because nobody thought he was ever going to die. On one occasion where Jesus, again, kind of spells out that same, that same scenario, Peter, he says to Jesus, never, Lord, that is never going to happen to you. We're not going to let that happen to you. So my point is, no one's thinking that Jesus is going to die so the nation doesn't perish and of course, Caiaphas wasn't thinking that at all. But that's exactly what he says. And he said that because that is what the prophets did say. Even though at the time, those prophecies were ignored by the majority of people. Because after all, who's looking for a Messiah that's going to come and then be killed? That's not a good Messiah. So even though those statements were there in the biblical text, those were ignored. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There's so many questions today about 
science and faith? And uh, are they compatible? Can you be even a scientific person and a believer at the same time? Well, Professor John Lennox from Oxford University says, yes, you can. And in his fantastic book, Can Science Explain Everything?, He basically shows us from a scientific standpoint and as a scientist that science cannot explain everything. But, of course, the Gospels and the Word of God do. So I love this book. It's an easy read. It's very helpful. It's a great book to read yourself and to even pass on maybe to a skeptical friend. So I want to encourage you to pick up Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. You can order the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you, that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.